We would like to welcome you to today's sermon delivered by Pastor Stuart Guthrie. We hope that it challenges, strengthens, and encourages your walk in the Lord. Well, we're still working through the book of Nehemiah entitled this sermon, Trusting God for the Future. Um, You know, I've really been enjoying my my study time through the book of Nehemiah. I've never preached through the book of Nehemiah. I've never really studied through the book of Nehemiah, though I've read it uh, a few times. Um, we have to in Bible college, and every seems like every Bible college you go to, they want you to read through the whole Bible. So like every year you have to read through the Bible, it seems like. And uh, But it's really been a sweet time for me. Um, God's really encouraged me. God's really uh, put some things on my heart. And, and I hope that you as well are enjoying this book and 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 so today is 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 just another uh, fun sermon I think for me to be able to see what God is doing in the life of this church and in my very own life as well. And so last week we we talked about proceeding with purpose, and we talked about being a a praying people. We talked about being a planning people, a people that is proceeding with a God sized purpose, and that's what Nehemiah was doing. Nehemiah wasn't just walking and wandering around in the darkness of life and the uncertainty of things. He had a purpose, he had a plan, and he knew the job that he had been called to do, and he wanted to make sure that he had all of his ducks in a row when he was given the opportunity to accomplish that which God had called him to and had placed on his heart. And so today... We also need to be that kind of man, woman, and even child. And so that's is why I entitled the sermon um, today, uh, Trusting God for the Future. And so what the future holds, well, I don't perfectly know that. Um, you may have a lot better perspective on what the future holds. Well, I know Jesus Christ is coming back. But as ultimately, um, I do know that there will be a future. I do know that. And I think Scripture gives us insight into what that looks like. And therefore, because there will be a future, I think we need to be trusting God for our future. We need to be relying on the Spirit of God for our future. And so today we'll find ourselves back again in this book of Nehemiah, this man of God on a journey granted by the king to accomplish a task which he was allowed not by only the earthly king, but directed by the heavenly king. And so last week we saw that the good hand of God had been placed upon this great leader. We saw that God was was to accomplish that which he desired to accomplish, and it just happened to be Nehemiah that was called to do this work that God was looking to be accomplished. And so if you will, let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10 together this morning. I'm reading from the New American Standard. If you have your Bible, great. You'll uh, get a lot more, I think, out of a message as we peel through the Word of God. And, and so as you do, just jot some notes down. You'll find it's, it's helpful to bring to your remembrance the things that God has spoken to you. And as you begin to jot those notes, as you read back maybe a year or two years down the road, you'll be able to understand what's happening in the context and and whatnot. So let's begin, if you will, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And it reads, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. 
Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about it, and it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. There are really two main ideas, a few, really three main ideas I want to draw from this text of Scripture this morning. And I hope it will give us a better understanding of how it is that you and I, in our lives and in our daily situations, we can begin to trust God a little better with our futures. And so the first thing that I want us to look at today is and understand is that, number one, God will give you the permission you need. Secondly, God will give you the people you need. And thirdly, God will give you the perseverance that you need. Everything we read in these two verses boils down to this. God is trustworthy for our future. The old saying is useful for us today. If God brings you to it, He will deliver you through it. Nehemiah had been praying, he'd been planning, and now he is in the proceeding process. Listen to what he says here in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the rivers and gave them the king's letter. Let us be reminded that God is an all-knowing God. God knows everything. God understands what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He understands what's going to happen to you today after you leave out of here, where you go to lunch, where you fellowship, what you're going to watch on TV, who you're going to deal with. He understands every aspect of your life because He is an all-knowing God. He is all-knowing in all three parts of the Trinity. We know that God is all-knowing in God the Father. We see it in Matthew 24, 36. But the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. We find it in Luke 12, 29 and 30. And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, nor, and do not keep worrying. For these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. We know that God is all-knowing in the Son. We see it in John 13, 11, For He knew the one who was betraying Him. For this reason, He said, Not all of you are clean. We see it in John 1, 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that, you're, that, that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. We know that God is all-knowing in God the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11, we, we read, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. And for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. God is all-knowing in every aspect of His deity, the Trinity. And God can be trustworthy, trusted for our future. And so let us look at the first point. God will give you the permission you need. You know, that's kind of weird. That doesn't really cling. But I think as we begin to look at the passage, you'll begin to understand where I'm going with this. Just like we see in the life of Nehemiah, God was calling him to a specific purpose. He is an all-knowing and all knowing God and was making sure that that all that he wanted Nehemiah to take happen in Nehemiah's life was going to unfold the, just the way he wanted it to happen. And so don't misunderstand that 
that God calls uh, each person in, in, in your life and in, in ministry. Maybe God calls me differently than He calls you. But He places us with different levels of faith. Okay? And so God could have called Nehemiah to go on a journey without letters, right? He could have called him just to, just to go on into Jerusalem. But no, that's not what he did. He requested these letters. He could have called Nehemiah to travel to Jerusalem without the product in which he would need to fulfill the job. And God could have provided that timber when he got there. But in any case, he didn't. He didn't call him to live out that kind of faith in this moment in history. He gave permission for all that he requested. See, so many times we look at the king as if the king gave permission to to Nehemiah. It was really God who gave permission to the king to turn his heart and to give him all that he needed through the letters to the kings and through the timbers that he was going to need for the job. On the other hand, God may call us to step out on faith and to live our lives in that manner. As we look at Ezra, we see he is a different kind of leader. Ezra is getting ready to to mount up for his journey, much like Nehemiah, and he handled things much differently, though. Look at uh, here, you can just follow along. Ezra 8, 21-23, listen to what he says. Then I proclaimed a fast. It sounds like Nehemiah, right? He's getting ready to go on his journey. He's getting ready to travel to do his building project. And he begins to fast. And so I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Hava. That we might humble ourselves before God and seek from Him a safe journey for us. Who is Ezra seeking after? Just like Nehemiah seeking after God through the king. Ezra seeking after the king of kings and lord of lords by the king alone. And he's asking for a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all of our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because we had said to the king, you see what he's doing? Is he understands that he has spoken out in faith to this king. And he doesn't want to, to draw on any discouragement to this king or make God look bad. And so he calls out, To the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger against those who forsake him. So we fasted and we sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened to our entreaties. I want to encourage you this morning. When you, in your walk with God are called to accomplish this God-sized purpose that, that God has created you for, whether you know what that is or not, God has created you for a God-sized purpose. God will grant you the permission that you need if it's the assignment in which you have been assigned. Just as God granted Nehemiah the permission to travel, just as God granted Ezra the 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 permission to travel with protection, God can grant you as well. When we begin to trust God with our futures, we will begin to seek permission for the things in which we begin to do for the kingdom of God. We won't begin to just step out and just to act and to move and to go off of feelings. We'll begin to ask God permission.
We begin to seek God in prayer and in our planning process. We will see God's permission to work in the ministries that He has called us to. We'll seek God's permission to give to to this missionary or, or that missionary. We will seek God in how we should handle the money that He's blessed us with. We will seek God's permission to give us this person or that person when they are in need. Should we give to them or should we not? We will seek God's permission when we are seeking to teach a a class, a group, a, a Sunday school, a home study. We will become a people dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish those things which God has prepared before us. But we should never do those things before we seek permission from God to do them. And when, and when the will of God lines up with the call of God in our lives, the Lord will give you and I permission to go and accomplish all that He has planned. God will give you the permission you need. God granted Nehemiah permission through the king. He asked the king, can I go and rebuild this great city? How long have you been gone? Well, I'm going to be gone this long. Well, yes, here you go. Go ahead and do your job. God granted, if you recall, Satan permission to, to, to mess with Job a little bit. God grants permission to people when our will lines up with His. And God will grant you the permission you need to accomplish all that He has lined up for you. How does this relate to where we are today? How does this relate to your life? I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know where God's drawing you, moving you, calling you, asking you to serve, but I do know that in the life of the Christian, God communicates to us through His Word to accomplish that which He's called us to. So how are you serving? Where are you serving? We talked about a list of things that take place just within this body a couple weeks ago. About the Sunday school teaching. About the food preparation. About the the prayer team. About about the music ministry. About all of these things in which are located right here within this small group of people that God has blessed us with to be a church. The question is, what do we add to to the mix? What ministries do we begin to add as a church? Do, do we get involved with the local school that's across the street? How do we know? Well, we need to seek God's permission. And if God wants to do that, He'll grant us the permission. He'll provide a way. What is it that God is calling you in your life to do? And how are you seeking Him through that in your life? The second thing I want us to understand is that God will give us the people we need. God will give you the people that you need. You see, in ministry, you and I can't do anything alone. Nehemiah could not do anything alone on his own. He needed his brothers and sisters in Christ to accomplish the call in which God had placed in his life. And you and I need each other in order to accomplish the the will of God for what he's called us to. And if we're going to trust God with our future, then we must start looking at the work in which He has planned for us as a team effort. 
I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need one another in order to accomplish what God wants done at Grace Bible Church and in our lives. How many of you have ministries outside of here that, that, that maybe you're in just discipleship? Maybe, maybe you have a, a, you're discipling women. Maybe you're, you're meeting and you're serving in a food pantry. So I, I don't know what you're doing outside of here, but typically we need other brothers and sisters when we get involved in those things. Now, while you may be left to the final decision, you should always seek a brother or sister's opinion, a pastor or elder's thoughts, because we are a team in the ultimate purpose for Christ. And so this morning, as a men's group, we, we I handed out some papers as we begin the process of, of thinking through what our purpose is as a church. What is our purpose? You see, until we know what our purpose is, how can you know what the purpose is? And so we need to begin to process what it is that God wants us to be as a church. Come up with a mission statement, a vision statement. And then once we have understood what our purpose is, then we need to understand how we accomplish that. How do we accomplish that vision? And then once we understand how to accomplish that vision, we have to ask what are our purposes? Why? Do we do these things to accomplish this? And we hope that it lines up with this because this is our biblical model of how we run as a church. And then finally, we need to begin the process of asking the question, how do we measure that successful? Is all that we're doing, all that we're planning, line up with God's word and are we being successful at doing it? In that process, we need people. We need each other in order to accomplish those things. And God will give us the people we need. I can promise you God has given us the people we need today to accomplish what he's called us to today. And as I look across here, I see many different gifts in which God has blessed you with. Those who are able to teach. Those who are able to encourage. Those who are able to exhort. Those who are just servers. There's many gifts that are laid out before us and and wow, what an opportunity we have to, to tie those together, to mend those, to mold those, so that we can function in a way that brings honor to God. As a pastor, I really have to trust that God will supply our needs as a church with qualified men to lead and with women in, in different leadership aspects as well. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the, the river and gave them the king's letter which God granted permission to give those letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of armies and horsemen. Not only had the Lord granted him with permission to travel to this great place, but by, by way of letter, the Lord also provided people that was needed also. He, God, went above and beyond that which was needed to show his provision. Isn't that how God does things when we are in the will of God? Several months ago, we were praying for a place. God provided a place. God gave us a church. And not only did God give us a church, He gave us not only the building, but people. Because He knows we need each other in order to function as a church. God gave us product. He gave us seats. He gave us audio, video equipment. 
He gave us microphones and speakers. He gave us all of the things that we were need, finances, and most of all, people. Nehemiah asked for letters and he got the permission slip. We asked for a building, we got a building, much like the permission slip is a building. But God just didn't give letters to Nehemiah to carry along in a dangerous route. He was given an escort to ensure his safe arrival. And it was the king's officers and horsemen. God was serious about the objective that he wanted to accomplish. And I believe today in your lives, the the purpose in which God's called you to, he wants to make sure that it's accomplished. And he will give you everything you need in order to accomplish that purpose in which he's designed you for. The question we have to ask, what is our purpose? Have we thought about that yet? Over the last couple of weeks, what is our purpose? You see, God wants to accomplish that in your life. We have been so blessed to have each other as a church for protection, for the purpose of working together and accomplishing that thing which God's calling us to as the body of Christ, ultimately reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that at the top of the list, our goal is to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified to a lost world separated from Him. That's our ultimate goal. And now we need to begin the process of finding out how we can strategically do that in accomplishing to meet the needs of this community physically, spiritually, and bring them into the house of God so that they can be trained, equipped, sent. Trained, equipped, sent. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to train. He wants us to equip. And then He wants to send us out so that we can reach others with the gospel. We can disciple them, train them, send them. And it just begins a, a, a melting pot of people. You know, years ago, I, I did a... Uh, um, when I was in college, I was looking to make some extra money. And, and uh, so I got involved with uh, uh, a, a, a program called ACN. Anybody ever heard of it? They sell like telephones. It's like one of those triangle uh, schemes, they call them, where you sell to this person, they, they begin to mold out. Listen, as I, I remember sitting there in Charlotte, North Carolina in their meetings, and their model was perfect for discipleship. And I'm going, wow, if we just, if we just drafted this into the church and we began to, to model our ministry based off of what they were doing to try to make lots of money, We want to create lots of disciples. And so we begin that process of looking at how we can be invested in the kingdom of God. How can we begin to to see the body of Christ grow? Because he's given us everything we need. And he's placed you and I and everyone else in this group for the purpose of helping one another accomplish that goal. Well, pastor... You know, I'm not able to teach. I'm not there yet. Well, that means you need a partner. You think, I, I, I was, I, I'm able to stand up here and just teach because, well, you know, I'm just gifted and, you know, I'm up here and you're down here. No. I haven't always been able to open God's Word. It's been through a, a training process. I've had to be discipled and, and poured into and invested into. You need that same thing. 
Not that necessarily you need to be preaching God's Word. We're all called to preach God's Word in some extent. Because if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're a theologian to a lost world. Because you have the gift, the gospel, this treasure. You have this special message that God has entrusted you with. That you can deliver on a daily basis to people I'll never be able to reach. People that Phil will never be able to reach. People that Kim will never be able to reach. People that Steve will never be able to reach. Ashley can reach people I'll never reach. The reality is, is Dawn can reach people I'll never have an opportunity to minister to. Plurality in the body of Christ. God has equipped each of us for a specific purpose to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the community in which you work, live, and fellowship. We need one another in that. And we're going to find out Nehemiah needed that bad. He needed the people. He needed the workers. And he is in the process of planning strategically. And as we begin to unfold, we'll see how he went and he looked and he evaluated and he determined what was needed specifically to accomplish the purpose in which God trusted him to. And that's the way we need to live our lives. We need to begin to see who it is that can help me grow. Listen, I am always looking for men that can grow me in my understanding of God's Word and in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm 36 years old. Don, how old are you? Hey, do you think he knows something I don't know? We were talking about this morning how blessed we are as a church. We, we don't have an a emergent church model. We don't have a secret-sensitive church model. We're not in the business for seeking for one people group. He's 80 years old. He's married. We have non-married people. We have singles. We have different nationalities. We have single women. We have widowed women. We have young people. We have mid people. We have old people. What a great opportunity. Because you know what Bluffton's filled with? Well-endowed men of wisdom. Single women. Single men. Young people. Mid-people. Young people. That's That's how God works. I'm excited about where God has us. Because when we begin the process of reaching out, we're not limited to what one people group. And as long as we stick together, because I can tell you, when things begin to, to grow and they get shaken, the first thing we want to do is pull out and go somewhere that everything's perfectly organized and perfectly crafted sermons perfectly crafted Sunday schools, perfectly crafted worship teams. Listen, all of these are growing things. 
I don't necessarily want to worship on a TV screen all the time. But it, but, but it takes people to do this. I, I can't make the people come and do it. We, you know, Alec, I mean, bless his heart, he, he serves so, so much, but he's busy. I mean, he's in college. He's, he's doing all that he can do just to make his grades and, and to do what God wants him to do. And my encouragement to Alec is, brother, listen, don't be discouraged. God may not want you to do this right now. He may want you to focus on these things in, in life, and, and, and you have to be sensitive where it is God's leading you to. But when we stick together as a group and we trust that God is as if God really wants this church to be planted and grow, it will grow if we do our parts. If we serve where God has gifted us, because I can promise you, you don't want me leading worship. It would be a bad tune. Okay, you don't want me leading worship. But God Gifts different people in different ways, and it comes with people. And Nehemiah needed the people for protection to get to where it is so that he could begin the process. And he will need people all the way through that process. And I want you to understand that God will provide the people we need as a church. We have to pray. God will bring them. We have to do our part in inviting them. How many people did we invite to church this week? Honestly. Like, I had a bad invitation week, okay? Like, I didn't invite but, like, one person all week. And you know why? Because I didn't have the cards in my pocket. Like, if I had just had my cards in my pocket, I could have invited 20 people. I could have invited three people before I ever stepped into church on Sunday last week. I forgot my cards in the truck, and I didn't invite anybody Sunday morning last week. We have to do our part. Trust God to, to do His part. I'm curious of how many people today are working with men on discipleship. Raise your hand. If you are discipling someone right now, or have been, or trying to, raise your hand. Okay. Look at all the, look at all the hands. Okay? What that tells me is this. We have a church full of men who are investing in other men. We have a church full of women who are investing in other women. What a blessing. So if you're here this morning and say, you know, I don't feel like I can teach. I don't feel like I can really minister to people. Get plugged in. Get plugged into one of these men for discipleship. Because I can tell you, if it wouldn't have been because of men in my life discipling me, John Chittister. How many of y'all know John Chittister? Let me tell you what. That man poured into my life as a young believer. What a blessing he was in my life. I can't say that about many men in my life. One of the, the famines in our land is men willing to, to mentor and disciple. Why? Because we've never been mentored or discipled. And once we've been mentored or discipled, let me tell you, it changes your attitude. How many of those men that are mentoring and discipling, how many of those women who are mentoring and discipling other women have been discipled? Raise your hand. The majority of those who are doing what they're doing is because of someone that poured into their lives. Now, not everybody 
has had that background of mentor and discipleship and all those things. But the reality is, is most of those who have, they are doing it actively now. What a blessing. And you, if you're not, you can plug in with somebody that is. Because I believe that God has given us people, the people we need, right here in this room, to do what God wants us to do as a church. We have to just be faithful in the little that He's blessed us with, and then we can be entrusted later with more. How are we going to handle what He's blessed us with here? How can we be most effective with, what, 29 people? 30 people? Because we could, we could adopt a, a model that would draw people, wouldn't you agree? And we could be a, a mile wide and an inch deep, but I would rather be a mile deep and an inch wide. I, I'm in it not so much for plurality, but quality. Not quantity, but quality. How many of your lives, honestly, if we're going to just be honest, are going to be transformed by a 45-minute sermon that I preach on Sunday? I, how, many, how many know the sermon last week? Can you give me the points from last week? Anybody? You see? You see what I'm saying? Uh, if we're going to be honest, how much of what I'm going to teach you this week is going to impact you for eternity. Well, I hope that God's Word transforms you. I hope that as you're sitting there and, and we're going through and we're talking about getting permission and, and that God's going to provide people, that God somewhere deep down inside has given you one thing that's impacting you so that He is transforming your life. And if you get anything out of today, I want you to understand this. God provided all that Nehemiah needed. He sought God in prayer. God gave permission. He provided the people. God will do the same in your life and in my life and in the life of this church. Tim Elmore, don't know anything about the guy. I know he's a great teacher on leadership. Theologically, I have no idea where he is, but he's got some good points. And he asks these questions. He says, who is your Paul? You see, we all need a Paul in our lives. Paul is that mentor that brings wisdom and experience to the table. He knows where you're headed because he's already been there. He helps you avoid the pitfalls that life so many times brings. He shares his stories of success, his stories of failures. He sees the potential that God has gifted you with. He challenges you. He stretches you beyond where you are, where you think you can be. And he invests in you as his investment in you is invaluable as it causes you to grow. How many of you have a Paul in your life? I have a Paul in my life. Who's your Barnabas? Barnabas is that iron and sharpening iron person that we know and we call brother. He is someone that you can be yourself around because he knows the real you. You see, not many people know the real us. Because we have a facade. We, we put on a mask. We like to dress it up and we like to hide behind it. And when we come to church, everybody sees the fake me. 
But there are those Barnabases in our life that, that I can rip that off and say, all right, here's the real me. And I got struggles and I got issues and I got difficulties and my marriage is falling apart and I am financially bankrupt and I'm doing this and I'm that and whatever it is. They know the real you. How many of you have a Barnabas in your life? That you can honestly say, we're helping sharpen one another and, and I got some difficulties and, and I'm going through it and I've got this sister or this brother that knows me and they're praying for me and they're investing in me and they hold me accountable and they tell me what I don't necessarily want to hear. They tell me the truth. And he encourages or she encourages me and believes in me. That Barnabas, you can laugh and you can cry. You can have fun or you can just relax. Those men have probably been the most special in my life. Because most of my life I've had difficulties in my walk with Christ. And I needed those men that I could be real with. And I think you need a pastor that can be real with you. And I think you need brothers and sisters that you can be real with. Because if you can't talk to me, who in the world can you talk to? If I can't talk to you, who in the world can I talk to? We need each other. We need one another. And so thirdly, who's your Timothy? Who's your Paul, who's your Barnabas, and who's your Timothy? Timothy is that, uh, that rising leader that is... So hungry for someone to take time and invest in them. You know somebody like that? You know a young man or a young woman who, who is on fire for the Lord. And they want you to pour into their life. And maybe they're the next Captain American. Maybe they're the next CEO or professor or pastor or leader. Whatever it is God's calling them to. They are on fire for growth. He has a great potential, but needs someone to recognize it. To draw it out. He needs someone to help him when he fails to come back and to succeed. You are their biggest fan. You, in the process begin the process of sanding off the rough edges of their walk with the Lord. You know, as, as young Christians, we have those rough edges, right? We have those, I preached a sermon called, From the Casket to the Kitchen. You say, what in the world is that? Well, the casket, everybody starts off, we're dead in our trespasses and sin, and then we go from there, we go to the crib, right? Because that's where babies go. And I've got babies, and they cry, and they whine, and they do all that babies do, and they're always wanting, give me, give me, give me. And that's the young baby Christian. And so this Timothy begins to help polish that and to take those attributes out of the Christian so that they can grow. And now they graduate from the crib to the table. Because that's what babies do. We take them from the crib, we put them in the baby seat, and we pull them up to the table. And, and at the table they begin to feed themselves. But someone's still preparing the meal for them. 
They're not old enough to be in the kitchen cooking and preparing meals. And so they're eating at the table. And let me tell you, when they at the table, it gets sloppy. And they got food all over their mouths. And, you know, this is the process of our walk with the Lord and Christianity. So that Timothy helps sand off those rough edges so that maybe you can start eating and you're not so dirty anymore. Your theology is not all, all over your face and all messed up. And so he starts shaving off. And next thing you know, you become a, a cooker. And now you're in the kitchen where the heat is. Now you're preparing the meal for those babies at the table and those babies in the crib. You see, that's the process in which we walk through the Christian life. Do you have a Timothy in your life that's helping you? Because he sees a a diamond in that piece of coal. You help develop and challenge and stretch and empower and All of those things that come with knowing a Timothy or being a Timothy. See, because we all need a Timothy, but we all need to be a Timothy. We all need a Barnabas, but we, we need to be a Barnabas. We all need a Paul, but eventually we need to become a Paul. See, God doesn't want us to remain where we are forever. God will provide the people in our lives to protect just like He provided the people to Nehemiah to protect. To get us where we need to be so that we can be most effective for the work that God has lined up for us. But we need to be looking for them. Where is that Paul? Where is that Barnabas? Where is that Timothy? That we can grow to know. I can promise you I'm looking. I am watching. I, I may not say much, but I am an observer And I'm watching, and I'm trying to see, and you should be watching, and you should be trying to see, and you should be trying to invest, and you should be trying to find someone to teach you, to mold you, to be your Paul, your Barnabas, or your Timothy. And if I, as your pastor, need these men in my life, I can promise you, you need them in your life. God has sent Nehemiah with men They needed to get the job. Charles Swindoll says in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, uh, that the prerequisite for an upcoming leader is this. First, realize his own limitation. We need to realize our own limitation. As a church, as leaders, as husbands, as wives, we need to know our limitations. Secondly, we need to be a, a person turned to God in prayer and in patience. Thirdly, we need to be organized and have a feasible plan of action. And then fourthly, we are to press on despite the vocal opposition. You know there's opposition coming. There's opposition coming. Like, the future is coming. There's opposition coming. Are we ready to handle it? Are we prepared? God will give us permission. God will give us the people. And God will give us the perseverance we need as Christians. Here is the definition of perseverance. Perseverance is steady persistence in a course of action, a purpose, a state, Etc. 
especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. Listen to what James says in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. Brothers and sisters, you will encounter times of trying difficulties as Christians when you begin the process of serving Jesus Christ as he wants us to in his Bible by opening and telling people about Jesus Christ. But remember that God will give us perseverance in those difficult times. Look at what he says in verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, Officials heard about it. It was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Sinners never welcome true freedom. And it's always displeasing to them. Because it gets in the way of their wallet. It gets in the way of their control. It gets in the way of their popularity. And so we see this illustration in 2 Timothy 3, 1-3. It says, but realize this, in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedience to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, on and on and on. Sanballat and Tobiah will be a thorn in our flesh, in the flesh of Nehemiah. Let me tell you what, you're going to have some Sanballats in your life. You're going to have some Tobias in your life. And they're going to discourage you. They're going to try to distract you. They're, trying to, they're going to try to get in your way and mess up all that, that's happening. But be encouraged that God will give you the perseverance you need to press through that. Now, if we're not doing anything for the kingdom, we're only coming on Sundays and we're not studying the Word of God, and we're not being persecuted, then that may just be like an empty message to you. Might just be this, this reality, well, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. I just didn't get none out of the sermon. But let me tell you what. When you get involved in ministry, when you get involved with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you get involved, you will become discouraged. Matter of fact, I was just speaking with Don this morning. He says, you know, he's discouraged about the ministry that he's doing but the people he's trying to reach. There will be sand ballots, brother. There will be two bias in your life, but God can give you the perseverance you need to, to push through and continue to reach those, those people. Because God wants to, He loves those people just as much as He loves you and me. We will encounter those men. They're wondering, how dare Nehemiah come? to his people and try to help them. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28 He says, In far more imprisonments I've been, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, 
Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I've spent in the deep. I've been on, a frequent, in, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from countrymen. Dangers from Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship th- through many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst. Often with Without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. We, we American Christians are not the norm. Normal Christianity endures persecution. We have a freedom in America that that majority of Christians don't have in this world. And our freedom has caused us to become lazy and lackadaisical. As a nation, as 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 a country, as we watch all of these things unfold in the news. Oh, now we got to turn in our sermons on homosexuality. You can't have my sermons. You can't remove it because it's God's Word. Our freedoms are being chipped away as we sit back on defense. As Ed Rogers said this morning, we need to become a Christian nation that's on offense. And when we come in Sunday, Sunday is simply the huddle where we're given the play. And then when we say, one, two, three, break, and we go out of the church on Sunday, we need to actually do the play. We need to be godly people on offense, being active for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we can stand firm because the King of kings and the Lord of lords will give us the perseverance that you and I will need as active Christians in our community, active Christians in our workplace. God will give you the perseverance to make it through that which He is calling you to. And the greatest thing to know is, I don't know what God is calling you to. But I know that I know that God didn't create you in His very own image for nothing. You were created with a purpose predestined with a work to be done. That, my friends, should allow us to see our willingness to trust God for our future. In light of Ebola, in light of ISIS, in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ, let us live our lives persevering for the sake of Jesus Christ and understand that God will give us permission. He will give us the people and He will give us the perseverance we need to move forward in our walk with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.